we typically end up talking to folks for like 20 minutes before we even hit record because I think it's good to get to know each other for mm-hmm. you know, half a second uh, before we delve into, you know, the trauma of the Iranian diaspora. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody. I'm here today with Nyack Research Fellow, Dr. Asal Rad, and we are joined by two fantastic guests. Catherine Whitney and Layla Emery, the editors of a new anthology that's out called My Shadow is My Skin, Voices of the Iranian Diaspora. Catherine first wrote on the Iranian diaspora in the anthology called Because I Said So, 33 Mothers Write About Children, Sex, Men, Aging, Faith, Race, and Themselves, which I think covers the gamut of everything we deal with. Uh, She's a graduate of Duke University and received her master's in museum studies from John F. Kennedy University. And Layla is a writer and editor whose work has appeared uh, in everything from Michigan Quarterly Review to Lines and Stars. Uh, She's a graduate of Smith College and holds a master's in creative writing from Johns Hopkins University. So welcome to both of you. Thank Thank you. you So happy to be here. You guys are coming on at a... Pretty interesting time. This is, uh, and with a book that I think has never been needed more in this community. Um, So My Shadow is My Skin, Voices of the Iranian Diaspora, for those of you who don't know, is a book of 30 essays. And it looks at broad, personal, and inclusive view of the Iranian diaspora in the United States. um, And it examines the ways in which the diaspora continues to evolve. Um, What inspired both of you to undertake this project. I mean, again, it's, this comes at an amazing time. This has been a really, really tough year for Iranian Americans. Mm. You know, January 2nd, we almost went to war with Iran. We're still facing the travel ban. Our family in Iran is still, you know, sort of suffering under U.S. sanctions. And yet here's this like amazing book that's just come out and actually presents maybe our community in a way that isn't completely negative. You know, that's something we see in the media here all the time is that we're demonized. Our community here is demonized. Our country of heritage is demonized. But so with all that said, what drove you guys to wrote, uh, to edit this and put this together? And what was the impetus for this project? So Layla and I met at a writing workshop in Berkeley, California. um, And the topic of it was uh, finding your Iran. It was about Iranian identity, finding your Iranian identity or writing your Iranian identity. And um, after, and we, it was an amazing workshop where there were so many really gifted writers and telling stories that we hadn't really heard told before, and brave, vulnerable stories. And at the end of the workshop, um, but one of the one of the two um, leaders of the workshop, the leaders were uh, Persis uh, Karim and Anita Amiraswani were the teachers and Persis pulled Layla and me apart aside and said we need an anthology of nonfiction writing on the diaspora and she and Anita had done several anthologies leading up to that and she said it's time for nonfiction and it's time for us to pass the baton go like that pretty much and um, so we because we had no idea what that involved we said sure okay we'll do it Uh, (laughs) and then um, five years later there's a book but um, we all, because when, when I saw this, um, you know, R- Iranian identity, identity workshop, I reached out and said uh, to Anita and Persis, can I join this workshop? Because writing about this, the piece 
five, you know, 2005 and that other anthology really helped me understand what my role was as a parent of two, you know, half Iranian kids. It really, so I knew how important writing was about this in, in this vein to kind of figure, figure, figure out where, what my role was and, and just learn more about the culture. And, uh, so they said, yes, 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 we really want you to come and please do come. And, and, but what was really wonderful about the workshop was that the definition of the diaspora, it was really generous and wide. And one thing I think is really, it's really a mission of processes in the, the center for the Iranian diaspora and greater is that the diaspora is evolving and diversifying and changing. And it includes people like me who married into an Iranian family and who have two half Iranian kids it includes people like Layla, who's, herself half Iranian and it includes the diversity of people who are represented in the book um, who uh, many of whom have that same um, feeling that Ale that Layla was starting to talk about um, belonging not belonging do I really have a voice is is my voice counted is my voice you know is anyone to listen it's it's interesting because <clears throat> Layla mentioned it you know being because she's half Iranian like does she what right does she have but mm -hmm. I'm full Iranian and there are still people who will be like well you're not Iranian enough to be able yeah. to comment on XYZ because you read at a third grade level. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? When's yeah. the last time you were to, you were in Iran? Like I think this conversation happens all across and it's mm -hmm. actually it's pretty sad that instead of celebrating the fact that we all are connected to this community and that we have culture and we actually want to have a say, we try to one up each other in terms of who's more Iranian. Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. I think there's there's a distinction between um, trying to have like validity or legitimacy in articulating an argument that has to do with expertise versus mm -hmm. belonging, and I think that's mm -hmm. the frustration sometimes. Because um, I can find myself in a situation where, you know, if I'm debating sort of uh, Iranian history, I might I might say, well. <laughs> Have mm -hmm. you studied the history? And that's, but that's not because I am Iranian. That's because I'm a historian of Iran. Um, right. But as You're the expert, belonging, I think is something that we is is a very human experience, right? Like the idea of trying to belong to any category in any group. Why we have identity politics beyond you know we have identity politics because unfortunately we have an unequal system that creates these. Uh, segregated identities, but also because we're constantly longing on a psychological level for that belonging. And I think really right. the stories that we're looking at here and the stories that um, these narratives that are presented in the book are more about that. They're more about the belonging aspect of it. And that's why I thought mm -hmm. it was interesting to to see you guys sort of grappling with this idea. Like, well, are we, it was almost as if to say, are we allowed to tell the story? And mm -hmm. it's such a funny way of phrasing it because, well, it's your story. Why, why wouldn't you be allowed right. to tell your own story. It's an aspect of this much larger story that's filled with so much, um, so many different threads. Yeah. I, you know, I think I had always sort of felt like an outsider um, to the culture in some ways, just because of being half and not really speaking the language very well. And um, maybe to, you know, some people not looking Iranian and whatever that means. Um, and, and so, you know, to meet Catherine and to, uh, be surrounded by other Iranians, um, you know, half Iranians, you know, all, all various configurations, um, 
in that workshop was really tremendous. What a gift that was. And, and it was really wonderful. In fact, I think that, um, Persis kind of entrusted us with this, um, with this project, you know, of, uh, compiling this type of anthology and, and, you know, Catherine can certainly speak to her own feelings regarding that, that issue, kind of the, the why us question, but, mm-hmm. What do you think? I'm, I'm curious about this. As we're having this conversation, I started thinking to myself, because, you know, as an Iranian, I was born in the U.S., so as an Iranian-American, uh, my parents are both Iranian, but I've still always felt that sort of, you know, I'm an outsider here, I'm an outsider there. And what's interesting is why do we take the outsider? Like, why, why is it yeah. that we default to being outsiders and not default to being insiders, to saying, well, I'm an insider here, I'm an American, and I'm an insider mm-hmm. in Iran because I'm Iranian. But yeah. it's really interesting, and I hadn't thought about it until we started sort of having this conversation, why the default is always to not belonging rather than belonging. Good question. Do you see that in like the, the, the sort of, um, the various essays, I mean, you had, I think it was 32 authors, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty Mm -hmm. big chunk of people who are writing about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did it seem like they were coming from, that thematic sort of background, like everybody was thinking about themselves as almost outsiders as they were talking about it? I, th- I think so. I mean, I think that rang true for, mm-hmm. for many of, of the writers. And in fact, um, we we did a reading with uh, CMAC Bolsugi, who's one of the, the authors um, from the anthology the other day. And he, he made a really wonderful point um, and I, and I wrote it down because it was just this, this beautiful, um, really wise statement. And he said, none of us have the same Iran in mind and none of us is Iranian American in the same way. And that just mm-hmm. really resonated with me so deeply. And, and I think that that's mm-hmm. really accurate where this book is concerned and where where the authors are concerned. Um, and I certainly don't want it to speak for any of them um, necessarily, but it, but it does. I think you you do get that sense when you read these these narratives. They're all so different, but they they do have this kind of common thread. And, and I think that's certainly one of them, this kind of outsider component that maybe we don't talk enough about. I think we focus so much on the idea that uh, because of the political context, Iran and Iranians are a monolith in how they're presented Mm -hmm. in, say, sort of mass media or Western media. Mm -hmm. I hate using that phrase, but for lack of a better Mm -hmm. one. In the U.S., how we're actually portrayed. But we're now just diving into the fact that we need to remind ourselves that we're not a monolith. We first have to understand the diversity of our own community before we can expect expect that diversity to, to show. Because mm-hmm. as long as we're trying to, and we do this as a community, we try to sort of fit this uh, model minority status, right? Iranian Americans are the most educated minority. Mm-hmm. Iranian Americans mm-hmm. are the you know most successful minority, and and we mm-hmm. do that. And I think that our inability, and I think the the book speaks to this a lot because you, it talks about secrets and and uh, hidden truths, and those are the things that we don't like to talk about. And so as long as we sort of hide, stay in yes. hiding, then we're allowing ourselves to be caricatured by outside forces. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You said that so well. And, and I think that that's, 
that's true for so many of the authors in this collection. And that's, that's really why we did this was to counter all of that, you know, to, to counter those, those narratives, um, not just, um, you know, those kind of imposed on us by, by the media and by politicians, but also the ones that we kind of spin and create for ourselves. Um, and, and the fact that it's so important that we, we don't feel alone. And, um, and I, I think that we can feel proud of, of that with respect to the anthology, because um, just in speaking with the other authors um, and just in discussions that Catherine and I have had, uh, it does seem that putting together something like this does create a sense of community that mm-hmm. some of us have really been yearning for, whether it's because we've felt like outsiders or um, just because of maybe where we live or, you know, other, other factors, but hopefully we've accomplished I mean, that I, in some small measure. For what it's worth, I think this anthology is significant on many, many levels, but at the most base level, you guys successfully took a bunch of Iranian Americans <laughs> and you made them do a group project together. And you know, so my mom, my mom always tells me that the reason Iranians, Iranian Americans are not good at maybe like working together is because it's a very me mentality. Mm. And that when she was going to school in Iran, there were never group projects assigned. And so here in the United States where, you know, right now we're in our biggest group project, which is social distancing. And we see how well that's going. But I mean, it's so it's, it's just, it's, really astounding that you managed to bring so many different voices together in one book. So really congratulations on that feat. Thank you. Well, I I think we were just tremendously lucky to have crossed paths with the authors in this collection. Um, They really, and you know, these aren't just words, they have literally become like family to us. And these pieces in the book are are like (laughs) our children in some ways. So um, yeah, I mean, there, there have certainly been logistical challenges and, and, you know, the current uh, pandemic adds a whole set of other challenges um, with respect to, to readings and just, you know, being in a room with one another. Uh, But as far as the process of putting it together, um, yeah, I mean, the, the individuals themselves were just so willing to, you know, be vulnerable and share um, really just such important pieces of themselves. And um, were really willing to go to those darker places, those more hidden places. And that's really what Catherine and I were so excited about when we started getting these submissions. And we, uh, we realized how deep people were Mm -hmm. digging. We thought, wow, you know, this is something really special. This is, it felt like a real responsibility to be able to, to share those narratives because, you know, as we know, there are, there are things that, um, you know, and I, I am going to generalize here for a minute, but there are certain things that, you know, Iranians tend to not want to talk about, whether it's, you know, these family secrets, quote unquote, or these more taboo issues, whether it's like LGBTQ issues or, um, you know, even issues of mental illness, for example. Um, these are things that haven't 
often been written about, or at least in a more perhaps contemporary context. And so when Catherine and I started to get these essays mm-hmm. that dealt with some of these issues, we thought this is this is really important. This is a real moment to kind of um, push that conversation yeah. forward. You bring up mental health, you know, LGBTQ, like all these different things that are um, there. I mean, they're they're taboo generally. And then, you know, the more sort of traditional the society, the more, you know, the less progress that has been made, of course, the more taboo they become. And that's what happens, um, especially amongst like an older generation of Iranian Americans. And I, you know, I think all of us who are on this conversation can relate to this. I remember having Mm -hmm. sort of like debates with my parents where I would say, you know, if all of you as, as a group of parents, if this community just got together and told the truth, like Mm -hmm. if you were just honest, then everyone would have like the sigh of relief because what's holding you back is the worry that your child is the one that has issue X, but look at everyone else. Everyone else is doing great, but Mm -hmm. that's not the case because everyone is doing the exact same thing. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, Iran has always talked about with this proverbial veil, the literal veil, but also the one where we're just, we're covering things and, that's what I really love about these essays. The idea that it's diving into the place that we don't talk. It's like, it's doing the thing that I've always pleaded with my own Mm -hmm. family to do and and sort of pleaded with everybody around me. It's like, if we could just be honest with each other, we would be relieved. You know, it's not like all of a sudden we're shunned by society, but that the psychological weight of having to hold all of this in and not be able to express it, um, I think has a huge impact on our community that we really don't understand. We don't understand the ramifications. Right. right. And the and the question, I mean, I haven't really thought about this before. And Layla, you can sort of speak to if this resonates with you, but it's a little bit like we're asking, well, what, what do you think is going to happen if you tell these stories? What's going to happen? Is the world going to end? Like, what's going to happen? What bad thing is going to happen? Um, so I think we just put sort of put them out there. But that doesn't stop, you know, when we have questions and readings and stuff, people mm-hmm. Uh, pretty consistently someone will say what uh you know did you show these to your family before you published them or well, how do you go about telling these stories if you know how, how do you go about like how do you how do you how does your family feel about it or that kind of thing so it definitely still you know comes up in the um like i can't and, and you sort of read into those questions whether you think they're saying i can't believe you actually published this stuff you know how did that happen um so, but, you know, you just sort of go for it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's being vulnerable is difficult regardless of what your background mm-hmm. is. And I think particularly in the diaspora, mm-hmm. you know, we have a fear of rejection, but even mm-hmm. more so we have a fear of shame. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, they say that yes. shame is external and guilt is internal. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm sure we all plan, have plenty of guilt, but I think it's when we start to broach the taboo topics, the things that we don't talk about, start to challenge these narratives that we're inviting, or we think at least that we're inviting that shame and that rejection. Mm. As opposed to as opposed to sort of shining a light and making it go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's so clear to us, especially now that we're in the, the reading phase and the discussion phase of the book rather than just kind of working in isolation, um, putting it together. It, it's so clear to us how much representation matters. And, you know, people are, I think, really excited about the opportunity to see pieces of themselves mm-hmm. reflected mm-hmm 
in these narratives. Um, there's a, a really beautiful quote, uh, and I and I'm so sorry that the author is escaping me, but it's uh, the quote is it's surreal to hear my story tumble from the mouth of a stranger, and and to me that is really the beauty of sharing stories like this, and and that mm-hmm. really transcends background. I think, um, you know, so, so whether it's, you know, fellow Iranian Americans reading this book, whether it's, um, people from other cultures, you know, I think that piece is, is what we all have in common. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think what you, 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 there's something really poignant about what you said, which is that, you know, maybe other immigrant communities can also look to this and find something that resonates. Cause I, full disclosure, I've been watching a lot of Netflix. And I think in one night, I watched the entire see the first season of Never Have I Ever. Um, Okay, so everyone's watched Mm -hmm. it. Great. But it's about, you know, an Indian family in America, and her mom's an immigrant. And it's just watching her be, you know, very American at school, and then very Indian at home. I was like, this, this struggle of identity is across communities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I watched it, and yeah. I felt a hundred percent, like I knew what that girl was going through. So just, just to say that I think representation is important and, you know, one story, you don't know how many people that touches. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. One of the things we've been yeah, talking about absolutely. is that this is about sort of showing the evolution of the Iranian American diaspora, right? The diaspora is changing. It's becoming more diverse. And of course that's happening over time, but, but really it's just a, a microcosm of what's happening in the entirety of the United States. The U S is evolving, right? Like to, to your point, like when you look at these immigrant stories, the reason why immigrants of all backgrounds can mm-hmm. identify with it is because of the experience, if not for the details might be different, but the broad like threads of the experience are very, very mm-hmm. similar. And so, you know, it's interesting. I remember there was, I forgot where the article was from. There's this image of this is what an average American will look like by the year like mm-hmm. 2060. You know, and it's when you look at this image, it is not the sort of typical image that you see today. And for some people, that causes fear. They mm-hmm. they're scared when they see an image that's so different than what they look like now. Um, but I think maybe for immigrants, for me, I can say personally, it felt it was like a relief to feel like okay, we're going to get to a point where you know everyone's so mixed up that maybe mm-hmm. these divisions won't be as pronounced just because we've now. And that's, that's the story of the entire Middle East, by the way. Like, the Middle East is a story <laughs> right. of that exact mixing. That's right. <laughs> so it's yeah. the central part of where all of these different places came together for thousands of years. And that's why, you know, it's, it is a mix, quite literally. Right. And, and right. you're hoping that these more isolated areas can experience that. And maybe that'll uh, allay these kind of divisions that exist within society. It would be nice. I think, I mean, this is maybe being too optimistic, but it would be nice to sort of spread a little of that to, to, to counter the fear, because I think it is a fear that's, that gives rise to these really virulent nationalistic, you know, white supremacist kind of movements. They're afraid. And why? I guess that's the, you know, because the, and they're afraid because it's, again, it's a, mono, it's a monolith. It's not, it's not individual stories. It's not human beings. They're not people, we're not talking to, um, we're not talking to each other necessarily. And that's, do you know about that? There was, there was a couple women that did a dinner, a dinner party, a dinner. Um, it's a movement. And I'm pretty sure there's a podcast, but they were doing sort of dinner parties across the country and collecting people 
who had really opposite views and going, you know, to the South and, and the, collecting people around a table to talk to one another. It was really, when you talk about grassroots, it's like changing one mind at a time, maybe. <laughs> but really just trying to have conversations about, you know, finding the humanity in all of us, which is, I think, a little bit what we were trying to do with this book, too, is like really uncovered diverse human stories and that they're, they're again, back to that idea that Iran is presented as a monolith, evil, bad, you know, and when in fact, you know, the, the Iranian, the Iranian diaspora is all over, you know, all around you. You just might not know it. You know? Well, thinking about that, actually, since, you know, I think talking about this kind of stuff, we've been very focused on the, the diaspora and these individual experiences. Um, but again, I mean, this is for me, it's very difficult to divorce the political climate from the identity. Mm -hmm because mm -hmm. we exist in a caricature, Absolutely. right? Because there's this this sort of negative image that always exists of us. You know, I always say, well, this year is a census year, right? So it's like, well, fill in your racial category and then write in Iranian. By the way, that's very important. Everybody should fill out their racial category and fill it and write in Iranian. Mm -hmm. Question but, nine. Question nine, everybody. Question write in nine. Iranian. Yeah. But the what's interesting about it is when we get into this debate about race, um, you know, a lot of Iranian Americans identify as white. And my comment to that is always, well, my issue with identifying as white is that white people don't, don't identify me as white. So it's not just how I see myself, but mm -hmm. there is how other people see me affects my psyche, affects, you know, and, and quite literally affects the way that mm -hmm. we're, we are treated. So I wonder, you know, when you think about the political climate that exists and when you look at these like essays and these stories, how much of that is playing into it so that it goes beyond just the sort of idiosyncrasies of the culture itself, whether it's, you know, a culture of saving face of shame of this or that, but, but more so the political climate and how it adds to maybe fears that exist in talking about that identity. Go ahead. Do you have you something know, to say? Lately? Throughout the course of working on this book. Um, so as Catherine mentioned, we've been working on this since 2015 and really from moment one, I think we found ourselves saying, you know, this is the time, like, this is, this is, we, we need these stories now more than ever. Like this is more relevant than ever. And we found ourselves saying that over and over and over again. And, you know, certainly things look a little different now in 2020 than they, they did in 2015. When we began this, we were, you know, on the cusp of um, the nuclear deal. And here we are, and we're in the midst of this hell with the, the Trump administration and everything that's, that's come along with that. And so, you know, but that's, that's profound. I think the fact that we keep having these moments where that's not going away, mm -hmm. right? Like we keep saying, these stories, you know, having these conversations is more important than ever. So while that's good, I think it's also, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's troubling also on some level too, that, um, you know, we, we keep, I don't know, it seems almost backtracking in some ways. Um, and, and I can say for my own life, I've seen that play out where, you know, I've seen, um, you know, there have been times over the past few years where I felt sort of more or less included in my immediate surroundings, kind of depending on what's what's happening mm -hmm. politically with Iran. And, 
you know, I mean, all, all of us have experienced that to some degree or, or another, um, likely our whole lives. So in that sense, it's not so, so different, but you know, now it really, it seems to shift from week to week, you know, and even people in, in my kind of extended circles who, you know, are not Iranian, it's like, it's, you know, even in the course of, as I said, even in the course of a week, it's like shifting from, uh, like a place of empathy to almost a place of, you know, mistrust. And it's a very, it's a very strange time to say the least. Mm -hmm. Do you ever just want to be irrelevant? I, I find that, that I sometimes would, I would like to be irrelevant to people because when I meet someone and they hear my name and they ask me <laughs> yeah. where I'm from and, you know, invariably it goes to, well, I'm, I'm American, but no, but where are you from? And then it becomes, right. well, my parents are from Iran. Mm -hmm. Where are you really and there's from? always that look of fascination. Oh, now I have so many questions to ask you. Yeah. And and sometimes there's mm -hmm. just the feeling of, I don't want to answer those questions today. I just want to be, you know, a person and not part of this ongoing, you know, hot topic of the day. Yeah. I can. Absolutely. No, I was going to tell you a yeah, story, but you can't Please put it ahead. in the podcast. Um, because it's basically, it's my, you know, cause I think I talk about not asking permission, but it just, um, well, we'll see. Anyway, what I'll, I would often be in a situation where I'm meeting people with my husband, you know, and, and he, he has that Iranian look where he could be from, you know, we were in South America and he thought every country we went to in South America, they thought he was Peruvian or Ecuadorian. I mean, he doesn't look super Iranian, but he's vaguely something, um, and they would say, you know, where are you from? And I'd be like, I grew up on the East Coast. And we'd talk about that a little bit. And then they'd turn to him and say, did you also grow up on the East Coast? And he would say, no. <laughs> and that and was it. then they're like, <laughs> oh, where? You know, like he was just not interested in and giving forth any. And I always thought that was, you know, interesting. He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to give any, any more information about it. And I think maybe that speaks to, you know, what you're saying. It just, he just didn't want, he just didn't want to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah, that, you know, and for him, you know, he came here as a teenager and during the revolution alone without his family members, and it was all about assimilation, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting and I never really thought about it. You know, it's interesting. I never really thought about it in those terms that were, that you just mentioned as well, you know, it's just, it's just like, just like don't want it to be part of what we're doing here right now. <laughs> just like pick me as a person, not my mm. whole story. Mm -hmm. um. Yeah. And I think there's a push and pull there too, because on the one hand, and I've certainly experienced that too, you know, I, I have felt um, throughout my life at various times, like I just, you know, I would rather just kind of fade into the, to the woodwork and not be interrogated about these things or asked to be kind of like the mouthpiece mm -hmm. for an entire culture or the entire diaspora. Um, and at the same time, I wonder, you know, are, have I missed out on opportunities to mm. counter some of these narratives or challenge some of these stereotypes because I've been in a situation where, you know, I just don't want to be bothered. Or I just don't want to get into it. Or I, or I assume that the person asking me is asking these questions from a place of um, mistrust or, you know, a place of bad faith. And it's, it's a balancing act for sure, because I feel like we should be able to not have to get into to some of that and to have to, you know, uh, 
make excuses for ourselves or justify anything about our existence. But, but it's, yeah, I mean, um, that, that age old question of where, you know, where are you really from? I think we've, we've all experienced that. Layla, actually you brought up such a good point that I didn't think about, but you're absolutely right. This, uh, the idea that sometimes you feel almost like responsible. Like, well, I I probably should Mm. say something because if I don't, then the voices that will take over are these sort of fringe voices that will claim to represent a community that, you know, on average, we're just sort of going about our daily lives, living our lives. And, you know, no one is asking us these questions. And, um, and you see that in the larger American milieu as well, right? Like right now, there's so much attention on um, protests, lockdown protests, people who are against lockdown. Um, And what you're seeing is not really representative of what's really happening in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. And so sometimes you feel the need to vocalize something just to be a counter to that sort of fringe messaging. But yet to your point, it does still get tiring to be asked, but where are you really from? <laughs> and what do you think about this nation of 83 million people? You know, you have to constantly <laughs> say, well, I can't speak on behalf of all of these people, but you know, this is my mm-hmm. point of view. And yeah, and that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning is where we have to be better as a community at not making ourselves into a caricature if we want other people to not do that. So that that speaks to Layla's point that mm-hmm. there's the push and the pull. Like, I don't really want to talk mm-hmm. about this, but I guess maybe I should. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> um, how, have, how has the book been received? I mean, so it's been out almost two months now. And so I'm wondering how, I don't know, what have you guys heard? And I'm sure you've gotten plenty of people saying, you know, you just sang my heart, but what's the reception been like? Well, we got a, we got a really nice review in the Washington Post from someone who, who really read the book and really, I mean, it was a very nuanced and, um, they they did they commented on the stories, but they also kind of got the point of it, which is a little a lot of what we're talking about here, which is that it that it represents, you know, it really talks about alienation and belonging and and um, what it's like. So the immigrant story, but the, also the broader diversity of of what this group is um, and the, the themes that that, are, that go throughout the book. And uh, so I want to. <clears throat> That, that's sort of a bigger platform and for sure um hearing back you know, just individuals who've read stories in it are giving us really great feedback and my family you know my, my sister calls me all the time <laughs> so it's um how about you Layla? yeah the the reception has just been tremendous and one of the most rewarding things that i've experienced is um, having people tell me, having Iranian fellow Iranians tell me that they felt when reading this book like they could finally see themselves on the page, and that really—I mean—that is that is why we did this. Mm-hmm. You know, wasn't yes, it was to tell our stories certainly, but but also who have that representation um, that I think so many of us have wanted or needed maybe our whole lives. Um, so to hear that that's really occurring for people is so special. And maybe a representation that goes beyond Shaws of Sunset. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Look, I'm not going to lie. I watched that show too. 
You, Layla, you have spoken really eloquently about that. I mean, <laughs> not about the Shaws of Sunset, but about about the um, that sort of what is it? What do we call it? The um, yeah, it's it's just it's this concept of the the like this yeah. prosperity narrative, um, yeah. this prosperity narrative, right? Like, um, as both of you were were talking about earlier, just this um, desire on some level to to prove ourselves and, and, you know, to be very honest with you, I've, I've fallen into that trap, certainly. Um, and I, and I'm trying the, the older I get and the more people I, I talk to and the more that I read and learn, I'm, I'm trying to kind of unlearn those so lessons tell me, so, because yeah, some yeah. of that is very ingrained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm just in terms of my family and kind of having that be kind of a common refrain of, Oh, you know, we're, we're so educated and, and all of that. And, 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 you know, and I I can remember when I was younger feeling like, well, if I start from that place, then, then it'll be okay. Right. Like I won't, I won't be viewed as such an outsider if I can say, well, you know, Iranians have accomplished this and that and, and it's just, it's so tiring. It really is so tiring and it's so unnecessary. And it's um, its really a relief to see people break free from that. Um, I think we're seeing that more and more with the younger generation. And that's, it's really a welcome change, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and and we, were, we were very happy that um, the authors uh, represented in the book um, you know, seem to have the desire to kind of move beyond that as well. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I think with a lot of these types of projects, you sort of finish and there's, it's very cathartic. And I'm sure for a lot of the authors, um, maybe they came away with like a vulnerability hangover. Like there's, there's, you know, putting yourself out there can be exhausting, but I'm wondering what you guys wrapped up the project and then what? What was your next thought? You're like, am I going to move on? I'm going to write another book about the diaspora. So what's next for you guys? And what was finishing it up like? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Cause you work, it, we, we did, we worked and worked and worked for so long. And it, and I, and I, and I felt the burden of all these people's work in my hands and not getting it out there, you know, like that, that thing, like we have got to do this. We've got to, you know, and it was, you know, a little bit hard finding a publisher and, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to, how, at one point I'm like, we're just going to do it, Layla. We're just going to do it. No matter who publishes it, like it's gotta be, have a physical presence, end of story. Um, so that was like the goal. And, uh, now in this kind of publicity era, it's, it's, you're much, and I've heard you, you hear writers talk about this because writers are solitary and in their room writing and all of a sudden they have to go talk to all these people and it's like not their, um, not their style. They're really uncomfortable with it. Um, so it's really different. And I feel like we're kind of living it in a, in a, in a bigger way in some ways. Cause when we were working on it, we didn't have to talk about it, you know, cause we, and it was, I, I will back up to say it's such, it's such a gift to have Layla to work on with me, you know, like a, have a partnership um, because we got to sort of have all these conversations and really deepen our own friendship and deepen our understanding of the diaspora and really talk about people's work. So that was, you know, a huge gift. And now we get to continue to come on and talk about it, you know, in a more public way, but it's, it's more alive now in this post publishing 
time. And it's a lot of, as we were speaking a little bit about publicity earlier, it's a lot of work to get the word out. Um, it's a lot of time and it's great. It's fun. I mean, it's kind of a, it's really fun to be able to talk about it as a, as a thing that's, that's um, exists in the world and to be able to have meet, you know, now because of the COVID virtually, but we get to really talk to our authors in a way that we didn't before where everything was pretty much email and uh, hear them read their works that we've become so uh, attached to. So um, it's hard for me to think about what next. And I, you know, personally, I did have this, this feeling like, and it's in my essay where I was first, this, it's been a kind of a project for me for my, on behalf of, mostly on behalf of my daughter, because she was the one who really wanted to know more about Iran and and felt a feeling wanting to belong, you know, really wanted to belong. And I sort of did what I could as a mother for her. You know, I think this is a real moment for our authors. And that's something that Catherine and I feel really excited about. I mean, you know, some of them have never been published before. Some of them have only been published, um, you know, maybe a, a little bit here and there. And, and this is just such an exciting moment for them. And, and so it feels while this is, um, you know, an unprecedented time and, you know, very surreal in so many ways, it's also a celebratory moment. And we're really trying to focus on that yeah. as difficult as it is, um, because this, it's not, it's not about us. It's really just about, um, you know, it's about them and, and their stories and, you know, what kind of impact yeah. that that can have. And we're already seeing it, I think, you know, and, and we've, um, you know, we've, we've gotten the sense from the few readings we've done, um, just based on, um, audience feedback and questions that, uh, you know, the book is really resonating with people and that feels exciting. So our hope is that it will have a life beyond this, um, lockdown period that, you know, people will go on to maybe using use it as a teaching tool, um, or that some people will, um, you know, read it and be inspired to write their own story. Mm -hmm. But to, to see what will come next for the writers themselves, I think will be really exciting. It's certainly an opportune time to read. <laughs> it is. And we had a we had a reading yes. with <laughs> we had a reading yesterday yesterday with a with a group of the group of high school mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really, that felt really cool because they, um, you know, to be able to reach that next group of people who are thinking about writing um, and thinking about their stories and thinking about identity. And um, so that, that to be able to, you know, because we definitely, when we had to fill out the publishing form about who we thought our audience was, we had a lot of um, kind of academic, as Leila just mentioned, um, forums in mind, but to have that fall into the hands of younger people who are thinking about you know, these questions of identity is, and they were really engaged and interested in it. That was so gratifying. I so, think the younger then, generation thing is so, sorry, Catherine, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, since you brought up, you know, it's great that you're doing readings with high school students because I think the, you know, there's, there's a lot of trauma in, you know, the first and second generations and the way, well, the first generation had to go through this, you know, massive upheaval which was the revolution. Like right now, so I was born after the revolution, you know, and I, when I think about it, when I read about it and I think, oh, this, this was probably a really chaotic time. And wow, this is such an interesting thing to read about. Now I'm living through something that's I, 
sort of unprecedented and seeing the real life reactions of people in crisis. And then now I sort of appreciate more what my parents mm-hmm. probably had to go through. Um, and yeah, there's all this trauma that comes from, you know, that, like we talked about the feeling of not belonging, the insider outsider situation. And I think my hope and what's, what's great is how we can shift that in the next generation. And this book to me seems to be that opening where mm-hmm. we're telling the stories that maybe the stories that I couldn't easily tell growing up. Now, someone who's younger than me can tell that story much more easily yeah. because we're opening the door for them to do so. And what yeah. I'm hoping that we can do is, you know, and I made this point earlier, why do we always feel like we're on the outside instead of the opposite, instead of feeling like we're on the inside, maybe this is that shift. And the next generation doesn't have to always feel like they're they're not belonging and they're on the outside, but we can actually teach them that you, you get to be on the inside of two great things or three great things or all of these different things. You get to share that experience instead of feeling like you're constantly battling to be part of something. That's a beautiful, that's a really beautiful sentiment, I think. And, and just that what, you know, the story you were saying, the stories that you didn't tell, but also the stories you didn't hear, right? Because yeah. there are all these stories. I mean, there's so many stories that don't get passed down for whatever reason. And to have these, you know, I think that I, I do feel like young people have this general, the youngest, the younger generation, there's a lot more fluidity, you know, less, um, fewer, uh, compart- there's less compartmentalization in terms of identity and a lot more fluidity and intersectionality and um, which is encouraging. Um, Catherine and Layla, do you guys have anything else you want to add about the book or life or Asal? <laughs> any more questions? <laughs> no. Okay. So tell us where we can get this book. You can get it. Um, on bookshop.org, which is Great. a clearinghouse for independent booksellers. Um, that's what we, and you can, you can also probably order it from your own local. That's what we encourage people, first of all, to order from your local bookstore. Cause a lot of bookstores are ordering books and sending and shipping them. Um, bookshop.org is a clearinghouse for independent booksellers and Amazon also carries the book. Okay, great. The anthology once more is My Shadow is My Skin, Voices of the Iranian Diaspora. We'll make sure to include a link to the book in the podcast description so everybody can find it easily. Uh, Catherine and Layla, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for undertaking such an enormous project that I think is going to, you know, really couldn't have come up at a better time. We all have nothing to do but, you know, sit and stare at the wall. So we might as well learn learn something, maybe challenge some narratives, challenge our own narratives. Uh, But thanks again. And we'll be talking to some of the authors, some more of the authors uh, in the future. Uh, So thanks again, everybody. And uh, we hope to have you on soon again. Thank Thank you so much. Really great to talk. Thank you. Bye. Bye.